Hello and welcome to Just Punkin' Up. I'm your host, Andy Harrison. You're listening to KNVC 95.1, your alternative. I'm broadcasting downtown Carson City from an old house, and I love this house, although it's a little creepy at night. Um, Thanks for joining me, Carson City listeners, internet listeners. I have a uh, pretty awesome show tonight. I uh, am going to play an interview and some music, but I had the pleasure of interviewing a Mr. Dan Panic, Dan Sullivan, or Danny Panic, drummer extraordinaire, drummer in some of the most influential punk albums to me and some friends, and just in general an awesome guy and somebody I look up to. So I got to um, head out to where he lives and uh, sit down, interview him face-to-face instead of over the phone, which is always better in my book. And uh, I got a lot of information from him, and I want to play that interview for you tonight. So let's dive right into it. Just Punk Enough, Dan Panic interview. Did you grow up in Chicago? Yep. I grew up there for the first seven or so years, uh, south side of Chicago, and then uh, it was getting a bit more dangerous, mm-hmm. and my mother got a job out in the western suburbs, so then we moved out there. Oh, okay. And then when did you uh, like just start discovering music and, and oh, punk rock and you know, stuff music, like that? Music. Music, I... Probably since I was a, a little child. Mm-hmm. Well, luckily, my father was heavily into music. Yeah. So I grew up listening to a wealth of music. My father was mainly into like blues, R&B, rock, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, classical, jazz, that sort of thing uh, came later in life. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I would say that... Uh, probably since I can remember, I would go through my dad's records in the uh, the apartment that we lived in on the south side of Chicago. We lived above a tavern, uh, which there are some interesting stories uh, <laughs> about that, too. But yeah. um, I remember just him playing albums, and if the album jacket was lying around, I would just stare at the jacket and then look at the label and watch the label spin around and you know and and, uh, and uh, but I would say probably two three years old yeah. I don't know do you um, do you remember like any specific albums that your dad had that you like, oh, yeah. kind of gravitated towards <clears throat> um, Otis Redding Otis Blue oh cool uh, first time I heard Otis Redding's voice yeah. I was just mesmerized as a child he's I, the sitting on the dock of the bay yeah right okay. Um, his voice to me just resonated with me, yeah. and um, even at that age, uh, there was something about it that was just otherworldly to me. Just the way that he sang, um, it's not technically, see, I, I, I get misty-eyed even talking about him. <laughs> um, uh, technically, he's not a, a great singer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's definitely more of a soul singer yeah. and I think that's the thing that I really appreciate about him was there right. was no um half-assing it yeah you totally. know it was and uh to me even at that age that just really sent shivers up my spine have, and, you, have you heard of uh Charles Bradley oh yeah yeah he's yeah. kind of the same way he just yep. is like 
never half-asses it, you no, know what I mean? No, no. And, um, you know, and that's, uh, and then there's Lee Fields and the expressions. Mm, okay. um, there's an album for Emma that I really like that came out uh, a few years ago. Um, I'll play you some okay, of that. Cool. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's got that great old s- school style to yeah. it. And, uh, um, you remember any other records? Oh yeah. Uh, Beatles. Yeah. Beatles were, uh, Beatles were the first musical, um, amoeba that really i really responded to so uh so beatles at the age of four or five were my favorite band and uh they're still the musical love of my life i don't listen to them a lot just because they're i listen to them plenty of times so their music's embedded in my dna yeah um do you like early Beatles or late Beatles better? Uh, I love them both. both yeah. uh, really depends on my mood. Yeah, um, I'm kind of a, a late Beatles just because my mom listened to early Beatles mm-hmm. all the time. So it's mm-hmm. like I've heard it so much. Yeah. Whereas like the late Beatles, she was never really into. So it's kind of still new to me, you know. So yeah, um, yeah. there's something about those early albums that are just really fresh sounding. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The only album that sounds a little bit dated to me is Sgt. Pepper. Mm. Yeah, um, I can see that. Um, sure. But I would say um, anything else up there sounds like it could have been done today. Yeah. Um, I remember my buddy Stosh giving me the White Album, and I was just like, this is the Beatles? He was just <laughs> so like, what the heck? And still to this day, I listen, I'm like, wow, this is just, some of these songs are out there. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and I loved, um, it was it was funny. I remember when, um it was around 76, I think, the Beatles Rock and Roll. It was a double album compilation that Capitol put out. Oh, yeah. And um, they put out a single, Got to Get You Into My Life, and the B-side was Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. And I remember every time we'd go to a place with a jukebox, I always played Helter Skelter. Yeah. And I got these weird looks from people. like They'd be like <laughs> looking at me. And, of course, the adults in the room probably read Vincent Bugliosi's Helter Skelter book and right. the whole Manson yeah. family. I'm a six-year-old kid, seven-year-old kid. Yeah, I don't know that. I just yeah. love that song. Absolutely. And I love that. I got blisters on my fingers. And it's just like, yeah. you know, when people say, the Be- oh, the Beatles don't rock. I'm yeah. like, that's that's a bunch yeah. of hooey. If you um, read about that, that song, um, who wrote it? Paul? Mm-hmm. I think he said that he read in, like, Cream Magazine that somebody had, like... The Who... Yeah, the, the, I like can the, see for miles. Yeah, it's like, like the heaviest. And yeah, he, the heaviest. He's like, no, I'm gonna write the heaviest. Yeah. My first, um, the first time I heard Helter Skelter was Motley Crue. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of went backwards. Yep. went backwards on that one. I was like, whoa, Helter Skelter. And then I heard the Beatles, and I'm like, oh my god, I didn't know. Like, yeah. Okay. And the Motley Crue version sounds way more tame than the Beatles. <laughs> it's so funny because yeah. people think like, yeah, crew, yeah. like the, the, the right. like yeah, metal or whatever. And you're yeah. like, nah. No one's been able to outrock yeah. the Beatles that on was, that one. <laughs> it was one of my first tapes, and just listening to it, like, what the heck, Molly mm-hmm. Crew? What is this? This is mm-hmm. kind of scary. You know? Yeah, but I still, I still love that album. To well, this day, but... now you mentioned scary. Um, I remember when I was five years old, my my father gave me um, a toy record player, and he, and then he gave me a bunch of his albums. Yeah, and um, the ones. 
and I remember them to this day. Uh, Chuck Berry, uh, Golden Decade, which is a double album. Chad and Jeremy's Greatest Hits, The Who Live at Leeds, Quicksilver Messenger Service, uh, Just for Love, What About Me, Happy Trails, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, Grand Funk Survival, uh, Closer to Home, um, Rolling Stones Aftermath, Sticky Fingers. What did, what did the Aftermath look like? What's the cover? It had the four of them kind of a blurred yeah. picture of Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. And then... Um, Uh, and then the one that I, I distinctly remember was um, the first three Black Sabbath albums. Cool. And so I those albums didn't scare me. Yeah. Um, I was really intrigued, especially by the album covers, especially the first Black Sabbath album, right. which is still one of my favorite album covers yeah. of all time. I love that. Uh, uh, what is uh, the, the photo effect on that? Um I'm drawing a blank right now, but I really loved the the colors. Right. And I can't think of the technique, but be that as it may, um, just listening to it. And when we moved out to the western suburbs, um, I remember putting on Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the kids was like, this is scary. And like to I me, see that for and, sure. and it was totally funny because I think I was probably one of the few kids yeah. at my age who was listening to stuff like that, who yeah. had stuff at, at his fingertips where a lot of kids were probably listening to like the whatever Yo, pop of the yeah. day or whatever. I, yeah, I didn't get into Sabbath till a lot later. Yeah. Like a lot later. I remember hearing war pigs from faith no more, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I'm kind of always doing the backwards thing, you know, like, oh, but no. So, um, so that was the first time that I knew that music had the capacity of scaring people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I was, I was, there was some sort of perverse pleasure in like, I'm like, really? This, this is scaring you? I'm like, no, this is awesome. Uh, well, and, 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 and so, and, and so to this day, I do have, uh, a great pleasure for the doom metal, yeah. uh, stoner metal, yeah, whatever you want to call it. Um, I love it too. Like sleep yeah. to me is, I'll pick up anything they do. Yeah. Um, I was just talking about them yesterday at the brewery. I have that. I can't remember what the name of the album is, but it's two LPs, and each side is just one one song. Oh yeah, Dope Smoker. Yeah, yeah. and then the other is just that one song. Yeah. it's just noise. You know. Just, I I love it. I tried turning on some of. Uh, punk friends that are also in the metal, yeah. and they're and they're just like, you. Re-, he's like, I I can't I can't I can't get through this. Yeah. And uh, to me, like I understand it's it's not something to vacuum to, or you know, it's not something you put on when you know having friends over for a barbecue yeah. or whatever it is that people like to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, it definitely requires. Uh, your attention and I think that's what I liked about it and that was actually because I would take public transportation to work and it would take me about an hour Um, and sometimes I would just listen to that on the way to work Uh, and it's an hour hour and and slight change (laughs) and uh, it was very meditative like I I felt it it calmed me it relaxed me 
And yeah, I know some that. people will be like, how could you re- be yeah, rewarded? It's just noise. It's like, no, man, it's, it takes you on a journey. You yeah. know, it really does. It's, uh, there's a lot more going on to it than, than, than people give credit to. Yeah. Um, there's lots of, of you're, there's a ton of guitars on that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I just love that album and their new album, uh, well, this is 2018, so the science is, is uh, really awesome too. Like anything they do, I will, I'll pick up. Yeah. Um, I uh, what, the first band I formed when I moved to Vegas, I stole from a High on Fire album, "Surrounded by Thieves." Oh, I saw yeah. that and I was like, I'm gonna use that as a band name. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one time when I, I I quit the band, but there was somebody posted a picture High on Fire, and right next to it. The next day was surrounded by thieves and like there's that's, some weird irony going on. Like, oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, but um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I grew up going back to the music thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I uh, just whatever my father was listening to, yeah. and and then whatever I heard on the radio in the car. Um, what? When did you start like just like playing music? getting into that well it wasn't until much later oh really oh yeah yeah um you know i'd i'd i would i'd always had an i'd had an interest in playing drums for a long time yeah um probably since i was five Mm -hmm. and uh i would do the traditional take out tupperware pots and pans you know and, and beat on them with utensils uh totally driving everyone around me nuts and then eventually that um yeah went from the pots and pans to uh school desks in class and there were times where i'd be drumming on the desk and not realize i was doing it and someone in class would would you stop that (laughs) i'm like stop what it's like like the drumming on the desk, like, yeah. and I had no idea I was doing it. And I still do that to this day. Like, I'll be watching something on television, yeah. and I'll just, like, start, you know, like, just feet and hands, yeah. just, like, a rhythm, and and I'll just... So you, you pretty much knew you wanted to be a drummer. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a tremendous amount of support. No. Um, and understandably so. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I dabbled here and there, but really... Um, when I really started to play drums was, uh, about 20. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's when I started but, getting into it too. Yeah. But I 19, wanted 19, to, 20. But, yeah. And so when I joined Screeching Weasel, I'd been playing drums properly for a year and a half. That's insane. Yeah. Cause that, the first album was that, what my brain hurts, yeah. right? So you'd been playing for like a year and a half before yeah. that. Yeah. Wow, that's great. How did that come about? How did the whole weasel thing come um, about? Well, I, was I mean, were a, you doing stuff before? Yeah, like, I was with in drums. A, and... I was in a band called Ivy League. Mm, okay, and um, we were asked to do a song on a compilation, Octung Chicago, and they had two bands come in, in the graveyard shift at the studio where it was cheapest, and so uh, we had a. a band that we were friends with target um and so we got to do the session they got to do their song and then we did ours and uh that's where i met ben and john for the first time Uh, and i remember a lot of people warning me about ben beforehand right because i was fairly new to the 
underground punk scene. I mean, yeah. I was aware of the Dead Kennedys and Sex Pistols, Ramones, Were you Minutemen, into punk at the time? Like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you um, remember what, like, your first, you know, experience with punk was? Like, what band or anything that you were like, what um, the? Well, there was a couple of college stations that I would get growing up. There was, uh, the frequencies weren't that, um, weren't really strong so i get little bits and pieces of this abrasive music and yeah i was like and a lot of times i wouldn't be able to catch what it was or anything so i would say probably about 12 13 is when i started like getting little bits of it but um i'd say probably around eight or nine i was already into blondie mm-hmm. and uh i had eat to the beaten parallel lines albums um, and then Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Damn the Torpedoes album, I got that when that came out, too, yeah. when I was about that age. Um, and they were kind of lumped in with the new wave thing. Yeah. Um, so I would say uh, that, but I mean, as far as punk rock, I think, like most people, the Ramones. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but yeah, uh, so that's, so that's, uh, the, I would say the Ramones would be the, the first um, quote unquote proper punk band that I that I heard. Right. Um, and uh, but as far as this the screeching weasel stuff, um, yeah, I met Ben and John that night, and a lot of people said, "Oh, you know, watch our Ben. He's a you know, uh, since this is going on the radio, I'll just try to <laughs> FCC." Um, you know, he's he's a he's a jerk and he's this and he's that and I just told people it's like well you know I'm not gonna judge him till I meet him yeah absolutely and he was totally just easy to talk to mm-hmm. like I'm like where are people getting this yeah uh, you know, I was like he seems totally down to earth and and cool so what I didn't know was during the recording our singer was in the control room. And John went up to him and he said, "We're stealing your drummer." So I had no idea till much later, and uh, so I was pretty gobsmacked. Yeah. Um, and I told him I'd been playing for you know like four or five years, just because right. you know. And I think at that point though, it was in my favor because um, I was probably one of two or three drummers in the Chicago land area that like melodic punk want to yeah. play melodic punk. Because yeah. this is uh, <clears throat> when I joined them, it was uh, early spring of '91, mm-hmm. and back then everyone wanted to be in a hardcore band, yeah, uh, except me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what other Chicago bands were around at that time? Because I only know newer ones like Alkaline Trio, Smoking Pubs, oh, yeah. and um, but they weren't around that early. I'm trying they? to remember. No, this is before then. Um, let's see. I think Sludgeworth, which was Vapid's other gotcha. band. Um, this is in between when Screech and Weasel broke up the first time and when they were formed right. when I joined. Uh, Gear, Apocalypse Hoboken. I, Apocalypse Hoboken stayed in my house oh. like in 98 in Reno, yeah. man. It was a trip. Yeah, they're they're hilarious, <laughs> yeah. guys. Um, Gage, uh, the Target I mentioned earlier. Um, uh, Trench Mouth. Um, I mean, the thing with the punk scene was there were so many different varieties of of punk rock i got like and like uh and so it wasn't just 
oh, here's the pop punk, and yeah. here's this and that. Like, it was... And they didn't really commingle with each other. Oh, like, gotcha. It was, like, kind, kind of, of like... Yeah, like, you know, touch-and-go folks over here. Yeah. Uh, you know, pop punk, you got the emo, yeah. you got, you know, hardcore, you got the crusties, you got, <laughs> you know, so, you know, yeah. just... Uh, so those are just some, and I know I'm forgetting some that yeah. I'm going to regret. Let's see, Eight Bark was another one. My sister uh, sang in Eight Bark for uh, a little while. Um, it's so. just I know that Chicago is like a mecca. Like I have a friend who just moved there, and he just start, is starting to tell me about bands from Chicago. And I'm just like, dude, you start thinking about it, and like it's such an influential city for punk, man. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, and it's not all that big, is it? It's like it's big, but it's not like Los Angeles big, right? The city, yeah, it's it's pretty spread out. It's not as big as Los Angeles, but it is pretty spread out. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of a lot of bands. I mean, you had Captain Jazz a little bit later. Um, which turned into Joan of Arc, and then you had the Promise Ring oh, yeah. there, and, I know them. Um, and then you know you had Shellac, and you know and that that stuff came a little bit later. But right around the time that I was starting to get into it, were the bands that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Hum is from Chicago, right? That band—they're not a punk band, but they're more like mm. shoegaze. Yes, I believe they are. I think that. I, I think so. We'll have to look that up. But okay, uh, so uh, did they just tell you like Ben just said? I want you to be in my band. Or um, like... I, I would somehow I got his number and he was staying at his parents' house mm-hmm. up in Wisconsin, and uh, we would talk on occasion, and uh, he had mentioned that he had this band called the Gorgor girls that were playing at uh mcgregor's and he said you know we're playing such such i i went up there and i think that's where it was kind of mentioned like would you be interested in you know playing Mm -hmm. you know getting together and it's like sure and um yeah the first time i got together with them i was i was really nervous yeah because um just to go back a little bit, the Screeching Weasel's last show that they played was at this club called McGregor's in Elmhurst. And Ivy League, we opened up. We were one of the bands that opened up. So mm-hmm. it's Ivy League, Apocalypse Hoboken, and Screeching Weasel. And um, that's where I got to see Ben's persona on stage. Gotcha. And that's where a lot of people are like, oh, he's a, yeah. you know, he's a jerk and blah, blah, blah. And um, I, I'm proud to say that I got his persona on stage immediately like he was just like i thought it was hilarious right (laughs) and i you know and and some people in the punk scene do lack the humor chip yeah and so some people take everything at face value and extremely seriously especially nowadays in the last five years it's gotten really bad it's like come on it's like yeah it's it's punk rock yeah you know it's like really yeah or it's like you know uh yeah just the 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 i understand people wanting to be you know respected and comfortable at shows or yeah. wherever they're at 
but the whole concept of a safe space at a punk show just smacks yeah. of contradiction. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, it was if someone would have said that back in the late seventies or eighties yeah. or whatever, these people would have been like, "What the?" Yeah. Would, you would have been laughed and yeah. thrown out of the club. You're like, yeah. "Get out of here!" Absolutely. Um, I mean, there was definitely uh, there was definitely some behavior and what i mean the whole thing about punk rock was getting in people's faces a little bit and being confrontational and being a little offensive and um that was one aspect of it and so now that that's been kind of taken off the 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 proverbial plate so now punk rock is just and in a lot of cases uh from what i've seen um has been kind of neutered yeah um where the whole concept of people from different backgrounds getting together different points of view that is harder to find because it's kind of a animal farm sort of mentality now which is a little disconcerting i mean I have people that I'm friends with that I don't share the same viewpoints politically or philosophically or, you know, and, or, and, but I still, they're, they're my friends. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I mean, if I were to just be around people that thought like me, uh, it would be very boring. Uh, I wouldn't learn anything. <laughs> right. And I don't even get along with myself <laughs> yeah. all that much. Uh, so... I wouldn't even be around me if yeah. uh, if that were the case. So I just think that you know, as much as uh, punk rock's opened up my mind a great deal, and I'm forever grateful for it. And that was part of the appeal was you could go a bit more outside the lines right. than other genres of music and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, you know, there were consequences, obviously. But there was a, there was a place where you could you could do that. You, you know, you could, you could challenge others, and p- others can challenge you. And I feel like that's kind of off the plate. And I just feel the people that are policing that right now, eventually those policers are going to be policed as well. Yeah. And pretty soon, like no one's going to want to do anything. Right. Everyone's going to be scared. Yeah. You know, and it's like if the whole, you know, people should be allowed to say what they want. There are people that I find um, philosophically offensive out there. Yeah. But my attitude is they have a right. Absolutely. But, you know, on the other hand, there's consequences with that too and that they it's the risk that they have to face. I mean, it's the responsibility of the First Amendment. It's just not like, I can say whatever I want and there are no consequences. Like, no, you should be able to say whatever you want, no matter how ridiculous, you know, or thoughtful or whatever it is. But there, you know, with that, there will, you know, you will get some sort yeah. of feedback. Yeah, some consequences. You know, and I'm sure just me saying this, I'm sure there's some people will be like, Ugh, what a fascist. I'm like, no, I'm not a fascist. I'm, it's, it's, I'm 
uh, not a fascist. So, that's the, you know? someone's always going to say something. That's, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and whatever. it's like you just be you. And whatever, yeah, you know? you know, and like I said, you know, I I don't expect people to agree with everything that I say yeah. uh, or believe in, uh, but I also feel that if there isn't an open dialogue for people to speak their mind those rights are going to slowly be stripped away and whether it's the far right right or the far left it's both coming from slightly fascistic points of view yeah. where it's like we want to silence these people it's yeah. like well then you're not a proponent of the first amendment yeah absolutely you know, the thing that allows you to have this extreme viewpoint and you want to get rid of everything in between. Yeah. And to me, it's just, it's, that's not how life is. Mm -hmm. Life is not black and white. It's yeah. gray. And well, it's like, as much as I dislike Trump, you know, gotta let him speak. You yeah. Know what I mean, and it sucks, but it's like, mm -hmm. I want that same right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, and, and the great thing about it is, as soon as he well, opens his mouth or is on Twitter, immediately it's just, okay, boom. You know, right yeah. back at you. Yeah. You know, and uh, and rightfully so. I mean, he's in a place of power, or he's being looked under a microscope. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the job that he he got the job. Yeah. Yeah. For better or for worse, yeah. uh, I tend to go for the worse. But you know, but but oh, be that definitely is, the worst in my book. Yeah. But uh, but you know, uh, you know, people have a right to support whatever politics the you know or politicians they want yeah. or believe in whatever theological philosophy or whatever music or you know or aesthetics or what have you yeah i just uh yeah okay. all right so back to weasel was it when you jammed with him was it weasel or was he trying to do something else because weasel had broken up right? right um initially it was going to be something else um, there wasn't a name for the band mm -hmm. just yet. So he had uh, the bass player from the Go-Go Girls, who was uh, Dave Naked. Not his Christian name. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we, uh, the first practice was at his parents' house. Okay. And, it was, uh, and I was nervous because uh, Dan Schaefer slash Vapid was there, and I was a huge Sludgeworth fan. Yeah. So I was a little intimidated by that, and then having Ben and John there too, I was a, I felt like I I I felt a little out of sorts because Ben, John, and Dan grew up kind of in the same area. Okay, and Dave had played with Ben and John, so everyone else had sort of some sort of right. relationship beforehand. So yeah. I kind of I, I kind was of a the bit outside, yeah yeah. yeah. Um, but I remember we practiced. I remember I had my four-piece drum kit, and I had two other cymbals. So I had, I think I had a couple of extra cymbals besides just the two crash and the ride and the hi-hat that I usually had. Yeah. And play. I think we, uh, uh, I think before we played, I had said something along the lines of, um, "If there's anything that I'm playing that you don't like, let me know." And I think they were all shocked by that because they're used to drummers like I write yeah, the drum parts and and yeah. no one tells me you know and my mm. attitudes like I just want to my whole philosophy about playing drums is I just want to serve the song yeah I'm not here to impress anybody with 
with uh, technical ability or anything. It's like my philosophy, um, like my my drumming and my initial drumming heroes, Ringo Starr, Charlie Watts. Is like you serve the song. Yeah, you know that's awesome. Um, and so I told them straight up, if there's something you don't like, let me know. And they were just like, who is this guy? <laughs> and I remember we played a couple songs, and I took one of the cymbals. Like, you know, I'm not going to need the cymbal. Played a couple more. I was like, I'm not going to need this one either. <laughs> and the drummers beforehand, they kept adding drums and cymbals to their kit. Right. So I was like the antithesis yeah. of, right. of, of what the traditional drummers, right. like um, more drums more this yeah. and my attitude's like no that's more crap that yeah. i don't know how to play i'm like i'm sticking with just the basic um and i think uh and like i said i i think just because i being a beatles fan uh i i love noisy stuff too yeah. like i love stuff that some people would be like my god how could you listen to that tripe <laughs> um but yeah, I really loved the melodic, and I thought it was a bit more subversive than the hardcore stuff yeah. because you're reeling people in with melody. Yeah. So someone who wouldn't normally listen to punk rock might say like, like, oh, this is kind of catchy. Yeah. And Ben can throw in a lyric like something for like what we hate or science and myth or I want to be a homosexual, right. and kind of. I felt pop, <clears throat> the the term pop punk, I felt was more subversive than other styles of punk rock yeah. because you're kind of luring people in with the traditional melodic form. Yeah, that's and, an awesome way of looking at it. I mean, I think that's why I was attracted to it too. Because it's, it's not just like, oh my God, yeah. you know. And I, I, I mean, I got into harder stuff later, but, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I wanted, you know, I need some... Some melodies, you know what I mean? Well, I think, too, with Screeching Weasel, um, I, th I think that there was a bit more, there was more opportunity for humor. We were a bit more whimsical than, like, the hardcore bands who were very earnest and angry, and, yeah. you know. And, again, it goes back to the humor chip for me. It's like, you know, if you're not able to poke fun at yourself and yeah. realize that life is one absurd event after the other, right. um, then you're going to, you, life is going to be hell for you. Yeah. And, uh, and consequently, you're going to make life hell for a bunch of other people, too. It's yeah. like... Um, and I think it's the thing I appreciate about Screeching Weasel was uh, there was a whimsical side to it. There was a serious side too. It's like yeah. you said, like you know, science and myth, or I want to be homosexual, making a point. Um, what is I want to be a homosexual about? Do you know? Yeah, it was basically Ben's rebuttal to the straight edge movement. Gotcha. Um, where it was just uh, seemingly from an outsider's point of view it was a male dominated uh guys with their shirts off and in, yeah. in the you know slam dancing or mosh pit or whatever yeah. they're calling it today uh i still like to refer to it as slam dancing yeah. <laughs> slam dancing to me is such like a grunge movement <laughs> term you know well it was I mean, like but... such a it's definitely more of a old school style than yeah. like mosh pit right. uh but i think ben was kind of poking fun a little bit of this like whenever there's a genre of music out there that is very hyper masculine there's always this undercurrent 
of of queer culture right you know it's like the 80s metal bands yeah. who were so homophobic but looked like women yeah. you know <laughs> it's like they tried yeah. so hard to look like women there so like but like hyper masculine and it was like and and you know every genre has that sort of so there he was kind of making a point yeah of like um you guys realize what you're doing right. <laughs> you know as it looks like from an outsider right. and so I, he was kind of poking poking a little fun at it because That's, that was another thing that took themselves really seriously yeah. too like from an outsider point of view yeah that's uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, I remember when we were in San Francisco recording uh, my Brain Hurts album and then the 7-inch Pervo Devo, which I Want to Be Homosexual was on. I remember hearing uh, Ben like to record his vocals without anyone else there in the band. Yeah. And he had us come in and at some point and we listened to it and I was like, Wow! <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah. That's cool. That's I'm like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it, it just. open-minded as the punk scene purportedly was there was a lot of homophobia yeah and so i think it was also to rankle uh the people just in the scene just in yeah. general yeah um regardless of straight edge or not and uh there were a couple shows there are a handful of shows where i would wear uh dresses on stage yeah or i'd go through my sister's closet and a sundress or whatever and uh and I remember my sister saying, you know, I don't mind you, but you're stretching out the shoulders. <laughs> uh, so, awesome. and, and that was kind of the fun part of Screeching Weasel, too, was because we're a bit more whimsical, uh, we didn't have a uniform. Yeah, right. You know, uh, you know Ben and I got naked for I Want to Be Naked on stage <laughs> a few times, and uh, John would wear his, you know... He'd have this like baseball cap with like you know like horns or whatever or, or just what whatever whatever you wanted yeah. to wear you got to wear it totally, wasn't it totally wasn't like rock. yeah it wasn't like okay so when yeah. we play this show uh, what are you wearing yeah, and what are you exactly. wearing it was just you know just do your thing exactly have fun yeah all right so you joined Weasel officially and then did you guys go straight into recording my brain hurts so what happened with that was. Uh, Ben had been talking to Larry Livermore and Larry had basically said if you want the album to be put out on Lookout you have to go by the name Screeching Weasel because that's the yeah. name that everyone you know yeah. it's kind of established uh, already right. and... so I think Ben was a little reticent 
about doing that, but eventually we did that. Um, we played a show. We played in McGregor's once, and we played in, I think, Janesville, Wisconsin. And then I think during the summer, I want to say July, late June, late June, July of 91, we did a West Coast tour. So we played Minneapolis, uh, South Carolina, Montana. Uh, we played Seattle. Oh, we played Olympia. We played with Christ on a Crutch. Oh, cool. Oh, th- I was so happy. Um, they were they were amazing. Yeah. Uh, wow, just incredible. And um, and we played I think Eugene, Oregon, at a cafe. And then we played um, in the Bay Area, and we recorded out in San Francisco at Art oh, of cool. Ears Studio. What was that studio? Art of Ears. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was really excited because I'd never been on a, a, a tour before. Yeah. And this is the first album that I'm getting to record. And, yeah. you know, by then I was a fan of the Lookout stuff because yeah. the people that, through Ivy League and other people that were in there were huge lookout fans so um and we were the first uh, i believe we're the first lookout band that wasn't based out of the bay area too so then you guys decide um then you record wiggle after that Mm -hmm. which is wiggle is like my no you did the ramones after that right uh yeah it was i i think what happened was we did uh, i can't remember which came first but I think the Ramones album was done on a, was done on a really small budget. I think a couple hundred dollars. Oh, okay. So it was yeah. yeah. So it wasn't a lavish uh, yeah. production yeah. Uh, whatsoever. And then and then you guys did Wiggle after mm-hmm. that, and that was like was that your guys' first time working with Mass? Uh, it was either that or the Ramones album. Oh, okay. I'm not sure which one came but first. Wiggle I think was it was Wiggle his studio I, though, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Wiggle is like was my introduction to oh, okay. Weasel, and that's like one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because Wiggle was like my friend Stosh gave me the tape, and it was like one of the very first punk tapes I ever had. And, oh wow! And like I listened to it, and I was like, I don't know, and then I listened to it right right away again. I was like, Oh my god, this is like this is it. So wow. it's like to this day, I'm just like I see that album cover, I'm like that's in my top ten for sure. Yeah. No, but I listened to it yesterday, and it it does sound different. I like it better personally. Um, Did they just remixed it and remastered it? Right. right? Okay. Yeah, it's not as dry sounding, yeah. and a couple of the songs on the original, the cymbals are really grating. Oh, okay. Like, like I'm like, uh, ooh, yeah, I'm like wow. Well, I, um, the drums sounded awesome. Like I listened to it in my car yesterday, and mm-hmm. I know it's not as good through the Bluetooth, but I, it was noticeably different, you know what I mean? And I was I was just like, dang, the drums sound really good on there. Like, like, 
like a talented drummer. You know what I mean? Like oh, it doesn't gee, seem thanks. like like I'm not kissing your ass, but no, I'm just no, saying like I was like I don't remember it being like so technical. You know, like I thought it was way more of to me it was kind of like a gutter punk album because I didn't mm. really know punk that much. Right. You know what I mean? So I was like. Well, especially with like Ben's vocals are yeah. a little like he had more of that kind yeah. of growly. So I heard the term gutter punk, and I was like, "Oh, these guys are gutter punk." And the gutter and punks would have been like, "Exactly, oh, God, no." Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I was so off in my punk, my <laughs> no, punk that I didn't no. know, like you know. And no, I finally was like, no. "Oh yeah, pop punk, I get it." No, know? and that's the thing that everyone who gets indoctrinated into any genre of music. I mean, you, that's the sort of thing where people have been in a long time and someone new comes along and like oh it's like oh pfft. yeah you know kind of dismissive like oh that's you know you don't know you you know it's like yeah you know the whole premise of punk rock was you've got a bunch of you know you got a bunch of disaffected people yeah you know you got people from the who didn't fit in who weren't extremely popular yeah um and so you know, someone new comes along that's like interested and some of these people are just like swatting them away and yeah, like, well, you're like, doing the same thing exactly. that you hated I, to, yeah. yeah, that people were doing to you. Yeah. And now, you know, it's like kind of waving this I, like power. I hate that. Because the, the beauty of like discovering this stuff was discovering it. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, the secretions have a song that's um, I don't oh, want to be secretions. like I don't want to be a back in the day punk. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, it's kind of about that. Like, you're yeah. just like, and to this day, like I, there are a lot of stuff that, that there's a lot of stuff that comes out that I'm like, oh god, I hate this, but I I never am like, oh you guys suck. You know what I mean? Like I gotta keep an open mind because I don't want to be like that too. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I hated the naysayers when I was coming up. You know, it's just. Well, I think that's the thing is uh, there's stuff that I hear. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't stand this. And it's like, well, that's the whole point. Um, Every generation kind of craps on the generation before. You know, it's it's it's, you know, I'm losing my vitality in the marketplace, you know, and so I got to swap, you know, and and a lot of it is, too, is like things change. You know, it's, you know, when jazz came around, people thought that was the devil's music and then rock and roll, you know, and rock and roll was just, you know, the Antichrist, you know, and, you know, the Beatles to what we listen to these days. Yeah. You know, we had Elvis (laughs) Presley or Little Richard and they were like blasphemy, you know, and then the Beatles came around like, oh, my god they've got long hair yeah. all right so anthem for a new tomorrow is after that mm-hmm. and that that was with mass too right yep yeah and that was lookout mm-hmm. and yeah. then and that, the, the the thing about like the the weasel albums that uh, played on um well you mentioned wiggle i'd say that one's probably for stamina that's definitely the toughest album oh really to, to play to oh. so i've had uh pierre the the screeching weasel drummer yeah is uh, now and and you know and we've we've talked yeah uh here and there and he's just like oh when we got to play this song it's like i hate playing this song because it's <laughs> like such a ball buster and that's the thing it's like you know like uh, it did take a lot of stamina yeah to, to play the songs yeah. you know because i wasn't you know half-assing it on the hi-hats right. it was all like ramonesy 16th notes on the yeah. hi-hats not just single yeah um so do you, I mean, did you guys practice a lot so you can no. keep up your? Oh no, you didn't. no, no. I mean, I I would on my own yeah. from time to time. I, mean, I was going to I was putting myself through college, 
and working a part-time job and then doing the band yeah. uh, full-time. So that was from 91 to 95 where I was on that. So I was constantly just, you know, I didn't have much time. Yeah. Uh, Did you guys school. tour at all during that time? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, uh, 91, 92, 93, we did tours. Yeah. Um, John and I were both going to Columbia College, and so whenever we had time off, we would plan a tour. Gotcha. Or during the summer when we had, you know, we weren't at school. Yeah. And we'd kind of schedule any band activities yeah. around that schedule. Yeah. So then, like, how to make enemies and irritate people and then bark like a dog. You were still in Chicago at that time, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And bark like a dog, that was Fat Records. Why did, right. w- do you know why it went, you guys went away from Lookout or anything? Uh, or there was that? some legal oh. issues. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of back and forth with, uh, I think we ended up getting a lawyer and Lookout had a, you know, they had a lawyer, it was a lot yeah. of back and forth and just couldn't come to an agreement. And Ben and John had put their money, their own money into recording Bark Like a Dog. Yeah. And, uh, was I think that was were, with Mass as well? Uh, that was with, uh, Brendan, uh, it was, uh, Uber Studios. I believe it was in Chicago, oh, okay. but Mass was also there. Um, I think it was a combination of the two. I think Mass was technically the producer, um, from what I remember. Yeah. Did you notice that it being on Fat Records that it that like you guys, it there was a bigger push, like your shows were bigger or anything, or was it? Just uh, we like weren't playing any... shows. Oh no. Uh, anymore at that time. Oh, okay. Um, I think it was after. The Riverdales played with Riverdales did quite a bit of touring, and I think Ben just didn't want to do it anymore. hesitant about getting back into touring again because it was just uh it was really tense on that tour yeah uh, between the three of us oh okay so yes we weren't playing any shows but uh fat stepped up to the plate and uh and they they were really great to work with as well um yeah they they welcomed us and i actually got to visit I was out in San Francisco, and I got to visit the offices out there, and they were really welcoming oh, cool. and uh, really great people. Yeah, so. um, the uh, I read on uh, Wikipedia that about Wiggle, and it said like there was a symbol hissing that delayed the release. Do you is that true? Like on the recording, it said. Ah, uh, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I know that a couple of songs, the symbols are. 
really high up there in the mix. Yeah. And um, and so the album to me was really difficult to listen to. Um, I'm like that with anything that I've played on. Yeah. I mean, up until this reissue of Wiggle came out, I hadn't listened to that album since 1999. Yeah. So it's last year. So basically. Wow, that's a long time. Well, I I mean. Some of the albums that I played on, I hadn't listened to in, like, Riverdale's albums. I haven't listened to in, yeah, I'd say a lot of it I've listened to since 1999. Yeah. <clears throat> I just listened to them all one day, just yeah. everything, and I just packed everything away. Yeah. And, um, But, but yeah, you know, I think people probably under the assumption that, you know, that people that play in bands they sit around and listen to their albums all day and i would say probably 99.9 percent of them are like no the only time i listen to mine is like to relearn the song Mm -hmm. or to you know just reminisce and be like oh yeah but But no to me it's 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 tough because i'm like yeah (laughs) why did i do do that that? (laughs) yeah um so for me it's it's not um it's not really for nostalgia. Yeah. It's uh, it, it would just be too difficult for me to listen to yeah. because I'd be like, "That sucked." Yeah. Why did? Why is this song on that's, there? That's music. It's like, man. what was I thinking when I <laughs> did that? You know, it's just so. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about you know recording music and putting it out there. It's a snapshot. Yep. It's a permanent snapshot of that space and time. Yeah. And, you know, but on the same token, you know, someone would have said, you know, back then, like, you know, people would still be interested in these albums. I would have laughed my ass off, you know, because no one, none of us, none of us thought like, yeah, you know, people are still going to be interested in this in 10, 20 years time. Like none of us, I can, I can say with, with with almost absolute certainty. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know a handful of people that were, just, that weasels huge to us. You know what I mean? And I worked with Zach back in the day when he was doing the television city dream oh, wow. era. And I, I didn't even know who he was, you know? And I remember just talking to him at work and I like mentioned Zoinks, you know? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in that band. I was like, what? I was like one of my big yeah. bands. I grew up in Carson city and he was in Reno and then he was, you know, he saw the Screeching Weasel sticker on my truck and was like, you know, I'm in Weasel too. And I'm just like, what? And he like kind of instantly like turned into one of my heroes, you know. And then yeah. ever since I was in like 98, you know. or Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. And I just like ever since then, I've been kind of in contact in and out and in yeah. and just following his bands. And like, I don't know, it's just yeah, the, Zach's, the Zach's influence awesome. of Weasels just like. It's it's bigger than so back to that when you guys saying you know you can't believe that you know people still listen to it it's it's a huge influence dude it's like it's well, huge well that's to me that's, at least you know <laughs> well it's funny because where I worked um, you know I wouldn't really talk about yeah. it and then, you know someone would mention something or I would mention something off the cuff and like <clears throat> wait a second like. Yeah. Like, wh- why didn't you say anything? Yeah. I'm like, well, I well, don't Well, my know. uncle's the same way. He's the original drummer of Seven Seconds, but he doesn't oh, go I, to everybody and like, yeah, I'm a drummer yeah. of Seven You know, and yeah. it's just, it'll oh, come up, but yeah. it's like, you don't want to brag and look like a Well, jerk. it's not just, like, not just that, too, but it's also, 
I think it's rather presumptuous to think like people are going to instantly recognize. Yeah. Um, and that was a thing throughout the career of Screeching Weasels. Like, you know, when I did, you know, whatever job I was working at the time, it was like, oh, yeah, I'm going on tour with the band. So, oh, what's the name of your band? Screeching Weasel. Crickets. Yeah. You know? So I just I just got used to it. It's like, yeah. you know what? I'd if, if I could not mention it, then I it just made it a lot easier yeah. for me because then I'd have to explain like, Right. like screeching eagle screeching yeah. but but on the other hand it's like i just i just knew that we weren't a huge band yeah and you know and i just got tired of having to exp- you know explain it when i had to i was yeah. like you know, i'm just not gonna yeah i can see that for yeah. sure and it just makes it a lot easier <clears throat> um so how to make enemies was that recorded in your basement yep and mike Durnt. yeah so was what- he in your basement so, yeah, were so, you guys in awe? Like, or was he? He wasn't big then. He was just getting big. Uh, they the, the album was just starting yeah. to sell. Um, yeah, I think at that point, if I remember, I think it had sold like six hundred fifty thousand copies wow. at the point when he when he came out to play bass on it. So initially, yeah. what happened was. Um, I can't believe we recorded that album in the basement because it is <laughs> it's it was lackluster um, in in comfort yeah and it was not built for recording an album right. like it was just not at all why I mean how did the idea come up like I you guys just want to save money or was it like, I, I was, just do it. well that was the thing too is you know back then there were no big budgets for recording so right. you know uh, the albums that I played on with them drums were done in a matter of hours yeah you know um i think with bark like a dog i got to spend the most time um it's one of the longest times i've ever spent playing drums which yeah. was uh a day and a half yeah <laughs> and that was you know like with my with with um how to make enemies uh mass had brought uh, a bit of his uh mixing equipment and everything gotcha. so more of a um, something that's easily, you know, transportable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it was pro gear. It wasn't... Right, you know, it was right. Like, yeah. And so originally, we were just going to spend the day trying to get a decent drum sound out of the basement. And uh, and I think within less than an hour, I'd say like 30, 40 minutes, we had it dialed in. And Master Ben's like, do you want to go through a couple of songs? So Ben... Jughead wasn't there. Mike had was on tour with Green Day, so Ben just got out his guitar and um, and a vocal mic, and he just did a scratch guitar and uh, vocal, and just the two of us playing together. Um, and so we started recording "How to Make Enemies" that day. So we started at um, ten to four in the afternoon. By five to seven that evening, I was done recording the drum tracks for How to Make Enemies wow. and the um, Susanna's Getting Married seven inch, and uh, I think a, a version of Nightbreed that didn't go released till much later. Wow. So yeah, so That's it was cool. like so yeah, it was just one of those things where um, just happened. Yeah, yeah. It was like okay, was the next <laughs> song. So it was like 17 songs That's I ended up awesome. doing. So it's really funny, like when you hear like people spending months on drum tracks, yeah. you know, or it's like it takes a week just to get a drum sound. I'm like, that would drive me nuts because that's such a waste of money. You know, yeah. like, to me, it's I like, agree. it's like, I agree. like, what the hell? It's yeah. like, you guys have 
you know, like you guys have your rehearsal space. You know, I I I can't fathom spending like to me two days is way too much. Yeah. I think I, a lot of the times it's like tuning the drums in a whole day. It's like yeah. really well. It's funny because I did some work with Zach uh, doing incidental music, mm. um, and he had sent me the demos, and uh, it's about twenty songs, like short songs for TV. Yeah, you know, and uh, so he kind of gave me a guideline. This is kind of what we're looking for and stuff, and it's like okay. And then he's like, so when are you thinking about flying out? I said, well, um, I can do Sundays through Monday because those are my days off from work. It's so like I can come in, you know, late, like mid-afternoon on Sunday and leave early evening on Monday. And there was like a silence. Like, Is that going to be enough time? <laughs> but I think I had, I think I had pretty much everything done within like six, seven hours. Wow. That's awesome. And so yeah, so because <laughs> I guess previous people they had uh, a few more days and whatnot, mm -hmm. but I was just like, no, man, yeah. I, I, I like, I, I mean, I'm really grateful that I grew up in the age of analog, yeah, where you know if you couldn't do it, then it yeah. just it wasn't going to happen, <laughs> you know. So I'm really grateful yeah. that uh, I grew up in that era where it wasn't like. I can't do it, but let's just, you know, let's just fiddle with it. And it's yeah. like, so I'm really grateful that I didn't have, I mean, it's beneficial in a lot of ways. You can cut things up and make things weird and everything. Yeah. So I think it's really great for that. But I also yeah. think that it can get people, it can make people lazy. Yes, absolutely. You know, where it's like, oh, just splice in yeah. the drums from this take to this take. And I'm like, no, man, yeah, I'm, straight through. I'm <laughs> absolutely guilty of that for sure. It's like, no, man. It's like, I got to do it straight through. It's yeah. like, oh, we can just punch you. And like, no. No, do it again. <laughs> like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. It's like, I, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just to me, that's just like, no, <laughs> I have to do it this way. <laughs> did uh, um, How did the queers come about? Because you played on Beat Off, right? Right. And Suck This. Oh, okay. The live. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Uh, family favorites. Gee, kids. <laughs> <laughs> To relatives, like, oh, what's like the queers? Like, with you know, I was like, what band? The queers, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, Screeching Weasel, Pansy Division, the queers. It's just yeah. like, I'm sure <laughs> they're just rolling their eyes, like, uh, uh, what did we do wrong? Yeah, <laughs> oh, what's the name of the album? Beat Off, <laughs> you know, it's, just... it's punk, man, <laughs> trying to get a rise out of people. It's awesome, <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure there's like, oh, there's no hope for, for this soul. <laughs> but uh, but um, that came about because uh, Screeching Weasel and the Queers were going to 
tour together, and I think at that time, um, Hugh, their their drummer, um, and I think my favorite drummer that the Queers have ever had, um, he had substance problems. Okay. And so basically it came down where Joe talked to Ben about, yeah, we need to get a drummer, and Ben's like, or Ben's like, oh, why don't we just use Panic? So I was asked if I would do the Queers and Screeching Weasel. So we did, I think, a three-week tour together. Oh, okay. So you're double-timing it. <laughs> and That's I actually cool. won 50 bucks off of my roommate who didn't think I was going to come back alive. Because uh, he thought it's like, you're going to play two sets a night like that? It's like, yeah. you know, and I had a tendency of jumping around on stage and, yeah. you know, jumping off my drum set or whatever the case may be. And he's like... So I won an extra 50 bucks. That's awesome. Uh, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, so it was – and we were all traveling in one van, a Ford Econoline van. So gotcha. it was the four of us in Screeching Weasel. Then it was Joe and B-Face from the Queers and then Richard the Roadie. Mm-hmm. So all of us piled into a van. And, With uh, gear. Yeah, and our duffel bags and sleeping <laughs> bags or whatever. So you can imagine yeah. at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning we're stopping at a gas station – you know, to take a, you know, take a leak or whatever and getting gas and just like a door opens like one, two, three, <laughs> four leather jackets, you know, uh, just like asymmetrical haircuts or whatever the case may be. And just like, oh, dear God, this night of the living dead. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> um, but, so uh, Bark Like a Dog was your last mm-hmm. Screeching Weasel album. And yeah. then you moved out here. Um, yeah. That? Yeah. Shortly, shortly after. Did you uh, record any with any other bands while you were in Chicago before you came out here? Um, I did uh, a demo with a band, a couple guys I was friends with. We did a thing called Cinco de Gatos, mm. and that was definitely more of, uh, I would say it was more inspired by the emo gotcha. type stuff. Yeah. So it was kind of like inspired by um, Slint, um Drive Like Jehu, um, kind of stuff like that. And it was kind of refreshing for me because it was outside of the parameters of pop punk and everything. So I was like, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, And so um, how did you get hooked up with uh, the Pansy Division? That happened... Um, That's when you were on the West Coast, right? No, I was still in. Um, I was still in Chicago. Oh, okay. It was uh, before. I think it was during. If I'm not mistaken, I want to say that it was right after we finished recording "How to Make Enemies" and oh. before the Riverdales. Look out, um, Pansy Division. We're looking for a drummer for their. November December tour with Green Day, and um, and they asked look up. They knew anyone, and I guess my name came up, mm-hmm. and I was recommended. So John called me up, and he said, "Hey, you know, um, you know, we're doing this tour. I think it was like late summer that he called me, and he said, we're, you know, I'm Pansy Division, we're doing this tour. I don't know if you're interested, um, and." Uh, I said, yeah, I don't, I'm not that familiar with your stuff. I heard one song off of a K Records yeah. compilation at someone's house, and I, uh, Bunnies was the song, and I, and I thought it was hilarious. I think Vapid and I were getting a good chuckle out of that when we heard it. 
and so and so, so I'll send you a cassette of both albums and the seven inches and compilation tracks mm. and like okay we talked a little bit and um, a couple of days later I got it in the mail um, I listened to it straight through once and then I went on the basement and played through the whole tape and came back up and I called them and I said yeah I'm interested in doing yeah. it it's like I learned the songs it's like which ones I said all of them all of them <laughs> and there was like this like silence uh, on it. it was like it's like when did you get it it's like oh like three or four hours ago you know and um and he's like okay so to let you know that we're going on tour with green day he didn't mention that beforehand because right. he wanted someone oh, who yeah. who wanted to tour because he liked because they liked the band yeah which I totally understand. Yeah. And I had, I was already familiar with Green Day and had and talked to the guys on uh, a, a handful of occasions. And when they stayed out in Chicago and are, you know, running into them or what have you. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I wasn't like, you know, starstruck because right. I, kinda, you know, yeah, knew, knew them already. Yeah. So, and um, so that's how that came about. And then you played on, one of their albums? As well? No, I didn't get it's to do any. Tour? I didn't. Yeah, just the tour. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, they they offered. They asked me if I'd be interested in, in joining permanently. I was still going through school, putting. I was still going through college. Yeah. And I still felt. Um, and the Riverdales were starting by that time, and so I still felt you know, an obligation to stick with the Riverdale yeah. too. So I gotcha. wasn't ready to, to leave the coop of yeah. Chicago just yet. Yeah. So what brought you out to the West coast? Um, groovy ghoulies. Oh really? Uh, yeah, they were looking for a drummer and my name, um, popped up yeah. and they played Chicago at the Metro. Um, they opened for Screw 32 and the Queers, and I got to meet them, and they stayed the night at an apartment that my then-wife and I had in mm-hmm. Chicago. And, uh, yeah, it was really, and just went from there. Yeah. Yeah. I just said, we're looking for a drummer, and you're like, let's go. Yeah. Um, ready to get yeah. out of Chicago. So it was interesting. So I went from a, a band that didn't play shows or tour anymore and straight into a band that, constantly toured yeah and so it was a real culture shock for me i think in hindsight i i should have taken some time uh off to sort of reflect on leaving screeching weasel and doing you know and considering what to do next um you know that would have probably been better because i was newly married at the time and spent a good portion of the time of my stint with the Groovyulies on on the road, yeah. so it was really rough because we're in the midst of moving from Chicago to the Bay Area yeah. and being newly married, and me getting trying to get used to touring again and playing shows, and it's a totally different dynamic than Screeching Weasel. So it was a bit it was a bit too much for me um, at the time to to really grasp. Yeah. And so, yeah, regrettably, it, you know, 
I wish I would have handled things a little bit better. Yeah. Um, did you um, end up leaving Groovy Ghoulies, or did they break up and things? No, they they or? got someone else. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, I just I couldn't. Uh, it. I think there was about a time where I felt like I was close to having a nervous breakdown, um, yeah. where I just I just could not. It was just too much. Yeah. I got getting pulled in every direction, yeah. and at that point. Um, I was trying to please everybody and not being really honest with, with everybody. And so I think that's the thing is when you're trying to please everybody, you end up pleasing nobody, yeah. uh, in the long run. So regrettably it was just, it was just, yeah, you know, I should have just said, Hey, look, I, you know, let me take some time before I dive into this. I just got out of this this band I've been in for a long time and you know and it, near the end it was getting pretty volatile and yeah. stuff and I just yeah I should have you know but back then you know I was under the impression that you know I really thought that you know I was lucky enough to do this music thing at all yeah and so I thought at some point someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and said get off the dance floor yeah. you know that's that's kind of how I felt. It was like you know my time's going to be up soon, you know, yeah. and so take advantage and you know. And I wouldn't have played with any of the bands I played with if I didn't like their music. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, uh, I to me just to play music that I don't. I guess for me it'd be really difficult to play music that I'm not into. It's like, oh, this is just a, a gig for me. I'm not really, it's yeah. not my thing. I'm like, yeah. uh, me playing music to me is a privilege. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, I'm not a big, to me, I'd rather someone else get someone in that's passionate about that than someone who's not totally into it. Yeah. I mean, that's the, when I played shows, there was no drinking or drugs or before I played. And, Ninety nine point nine 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 percent. There was no partying afterwards for yeah. me either. Yeah. Um, to me, playing music again was a privilege, and if people were coming out to see you play, they were taking, um, they were taking time out of their own lives to go see you play, and yeah. they're 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 paying for it. And to me, um, I took that as an honor and so for me i felt i should be on is you know be as cognizant of everything as humanly possible yeah. because anyone who's played music in a live setting knows that so many factors can go wrong just naturally you know uh, monitor crap out you break a drumstick during a very important fill uh, guitar string breaks during a guitar solo. Mm -hmm. uh, singer can't hear himself and blowing his voice out. Uh, someone got you know someone's got a nasty cold from being on the road. You know someone's got food poisoning. And there's so many different factors that can go wrong. And adding drugs and alcohol on top yeah. of that intentionally yeah. just seems like such an asinine move. It's like you spend all this time practicing. Yeah. getting to this point and the one it really matters yeah. you're just gonna like nope i'm just that gonna get totally really messed sense. up like i don't get that at yeah. all that to me just that's never appealed to me 
I've never wanted. It's like, you know, I'd like this. I'd, I just want to get wasted yeah. and just go up there and play drums. Like, I'm part of the engine room. Yeah. If totally. I'm, like, all over the place, then there's no way the, the band's going to, you know. Yeah they're gonna they're gonna be following did you um do any work with common rider um yeah i did with um i did a couple songs i think three or four songs um that's just for a seven inch or something yeah. right yeah i was living in rockridge at the time and uh i remember i was cleaning because i love to clean so i was cleaning the uh, apartment and i had the beatles anthology um video playing on the television while i was cleaning and a phone call and panic it's like yeah it's billy it's like hey how you doing it's like what are you doing right now it's like nothing it's like want to come over and jam like sure and so he lived probably about a mile away so i just kind of walked over his place and and then jesse's there and i was and i was just like whoa okay (laughs) and i had met him a few weeks i think like a few weeks before because i was in a power pop band called the plus ones with joel from mr t experience and scotty hay from uh, redemption 87 and um he came to one of our shows and after we were finished and uh and he he was like you you didn't panic i'm like yeah you know i was kind of like because i was trying to and he's like, hey, I'm Jesse. I'm like, hey, oh, hey, how you doing? And we always talking, and and uh, yeah, would you be interested in getting together sometime, something like that? And I thought, yeah, sure, you know. And I thought that's never gonna happen, <laughs> you know, because. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, just the phone call out of the blue, and got together, and, and uh, Jason White, uh, I think he played bass guitar, and uh, well, yeah, we just went through. A uh, couple of songs, and then the next day we recorded them, and uh, yeah. Somebody told me it was just too late, and the world sealed up like a tomb. But in the cherry crap, the living still kick and get some more until the end comes true. How did you meet Zach? Uh, I, f- I think through Zoinks. I want to say that the Queers, I think we might have played his basement, mm. and that's where I I met the Zoinks guys. Um, and then uh, and then it wasn't until, you know, much later that I really got to get to know him. Gotcha. Yeah. Did you play on a Donna song? I played tambourine. Oh, okay. Because I was looking on Discogs. Oh, and like, that's hilarious. Well, you played on it. And I came up like, what? One yeah. What happened the was there was um, I... Because they were Lookout, right? The Dons? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it was their last album for Lookout. But they were recording at Toast Studios in San Francisco. And I think I had just... I'd just gotten off of work and I was ready to go home. And I got a phone call from um, the engineer, producer, Robert Chimp. And uh, he's like... Hey, it's like, can you come over and do a tambourine track? It's like, sure. So I walked over there, and uh, yeah, and it was for uh, I think it was for forty days, forty nights, and uh, you know it's funny because people really like cracking jokes about the tambourine, but it's really not, <laughs> it's 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 more difficult than it seems. Uh, um, 
I don't like tambourine and punk rock songs. I don't. I don't mind it. I don't uh, know why I don't. I I, th- I think if it's used judiciously, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. But if it's like all over the place, um, well, there's a uh, one of my favorite bands is Pulley, <laughs> and I just realized like probably a year ago there's a tambourine in one of my favorite songs, and I was like. I, I'm supposed to hate this song because I don't like tambourine and punk songs. I was like, damn it. Well, probably how you feel about <laughs> punk uh, tambourines and punk songs, I feel about just steel drums in general. <laughs> I can't stand uh, steel drums. Uh, Every time yeah. I hear them, I just like, yeah, mm, you know, yeah. and yeah. So yeah, it's it's that's funny that there's certain things where you just you yep. switch like, yeah, God. Um, have you? Are you doing anything currently? Are you still playing yeah, drums? Yeah, um, I it, I uh, was in a band called the Red Verse, and also a band called the Northern Key, more indie rock type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we just kind of, due to I think general lack of interest from the public, and I think we we just kind of just slowly, you know, just kind of fizzled out. And, yeah. And I did some work with uh, Magic Bullets um, out here, and uh, for a little bit. And then I severely sprained my wrist at work, and uh, I didn't think I was going to be able to play drums hmm. ever again. Wow! Because um, it just hurt. Like when I recorded the Magic Bullets album, I had a, I had a wrist guard on, and I was in agony. Oh man! And uh, but I was like, I'm going to record this album. Even if it kills me, if yeah. it's the last thing, if it destroys my wrist permanently, so be it. But I'm this is gonna be a, you know one of the last things that I do. Uh, uh, Red verse ended up being the last thing I did. I think it was around 2012, 2011, somewhere around there. And then I just stopped playing. And I was like, you know what? I've gotten to do more than I ever dreamed I yeah. ever thought I'd do. A kid from the you know, from a working class family who wasn't expected to do anything with his life, you know, um, it's a good time to just call it a day and quit, yeah. you know, not make a big deal out of it. Like, yeah. this is my final show, it's <laughs> just, you know, or anything like that. I was yeah. like, you know, I'm just going to disappear. And so I did for like five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I'm not on social media, um, I definitely was out in the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was... I think after Ben's incident at South by Southwest, um, I saw the fallout like just from afar um, and the way people were reacting to it was like he murdered somebody. Yeah, like, like I get it. It was not his best moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, ill-advised. Um, and, you know, yeah. Uh, but I, I felt bad because it seemed like Every, the world was against them, and yeah. I, I and I know what the, how that feels because I've had moments in my life where I felt like I didn't have a friend, yeah. and so I just kind of um, contacted management and said, "Hey, this is a fellow weasel alum." I so just t- just wanted to you know touch base with Ben and say, you know, it's been years since we've communicated with each other or anything, yeah. but I hope you're doing well, and you know, and and this isn't this is just a general genuine you know concern not i'm not trying to get my old job back or anything like that and, yeah and uh and we you know was exchanged emails back and forth it was the first time we really talked to each other since 
communicate with each other since I left in 1997. Yeah. And, um, and then he played a show in San Francisco with Weasel. And the first person I saw when I walked in there was Zach. And yeah. I was like, hey. And, and um, you know, and I and I had mentioned, like, yeah, if you guys, uh, you know, play out again, you know, uh, you know, be, you want me to jump up and play a song, you know, I'd be happy to. And it was like, it's like, oh, which song? You know, I looked down, I thought, I wrote Holden Caulfield. And I hadn't heard that song since since that time in 1999. Yeah. I think this is the last time I, I heard that song I loved you for the minute when you decided to tell me the truth I heard you and that night I cried for you I know that you're around us just like everyone else in the world so tell me the things don't get better cause sometimes they do So we kind of, they asked Ben if that was fine and like, yeah. And so we just kind of went through it acoustically backstage and then uh, it came out and, and, and played it. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was, a bit, that was with uh, Mr. T experience, yeah, right? Yeah, and the queers. Yeah, my daughter was born that night. I was oh, going to wow. go to that show and my buddy Stosh went to that show and he had, he got a poster for me and got everybody to sign it. Oh, nice. It was like. First time I was going to see Weasel. Yeah. Such a huge influence, but I couldn't go. So I was like, oh, ah. wow. Yeah, I would say the birth of your child is more, <laughs> oh, yeah. more important. Um, yeah. But um, it was really, um, yeah. And so I was nervous as hell because I kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah. And since I'm not on social media, I don't know what people. And to me, I didn't know if people were going to care or remember me because I was, you know one of a litany of drummers that the band has had. So yeah. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't under any sort of, uh, any s- sort of, you know, idea that, you know, people are going to remember me or anything like that. So I was kind of terrified because I, it been a long time since I played a punk show, yeah. or, you know, but, um, yeah, people were really, it's it generally seemed happy to see me again. That's cool. You know, and I wasn't sure, you know, what to expect. So, um, yeah, it turned out better than I expected. And then, um, and then Ben had a thing at Reggie's and some old band members, um, had, members from certain eras come up and play a couple of songs and he asked me if I'd be interested in coming out to that so I did and uh and then uh saw mass for the first time in years yeah I mean these people I haven't seen in like 14 15 it's years crazy. I mean ma- majority of the people yeah and so I was just you know it was I was a bit of a deer in headlights because yeah. it's like you know like oh my god it's been so long <laughs> and you know and but he I I happened to be in the circle of people he was talking to at the time. It's like, yeah, Squirt Gun got asked to do uh, the lookouting uh, show at Kilman, but we don't have a, you know, we need a drummer. And he kind of stopped and kind of looked over at me. And I was like, 
well, if you, you know, if you need someone, just let me know. <laughs> and so I think a few weeks later, it's like, would you still be interested yeah. in it? And so I was like, well, I should probably dig out the drum kit again and yeah. see if I can still play these damn things. That's so cool. it took it took about a week or two before I actually sat down and played them because I would eye them suspiciously. I'm like, <laughs> and of course playing like Dan Lumley, the um, the squirt gun drummer. He's just a phenomenal drummer. Yeah, and he just he on a technical level obliterates me in every way, shape, or form. I mean, we just have two different styles of playing, yeah. but um, it was definitely a really good ass whooping for me uh to to, uh, to play along to his style yeah. of drumming um and getting back into playing again That's so cool. um so i'm still doing this work on yeah so we're actually gonna be playing uh next month oh cool in chicago yeah zach Reggie's. was saying something about that did you, you guys bef- the night before the lookout and you played in reno right yeah yeah zach asked me and my band to play and i was just like absolutely i love squirt gun but i my, i don't really have a real band like mm-hmm. i remember in mm-hmm. la and one in san rafael i live in that's that's so kind of really how, that's work. how squirt gun is yeah. Yeah, yeah but i was just like yes absolutely i want to play like i don't care like you guys are did you guys did you go to that show i didn't no nah. well thanks for talking oh I yeah think, thank you i think that's that's plenty i appreciate it yeah thank you <laughs>